Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. At 6.20 a.m. on the morning of May 28, 1998, police in Encino, California, an upscale suburb of Los Angeles, received a 911 call saying there had been a shooting at 5065 Encino Avenue. When the police arrived at the million-dollar property, they were met in the driveway by the man who had placed the 911 call. He had a young boy with him. He said his name was Ron Douglas, and he was a friend of the couple that lived at that address. The boy in the pajamas next to him was the couple's nine-year-old son. Mr. Douglas claimed that his friend, Bryn Hartman, had arrived at his house at 3 a.m. that morning in a drunk and frantic state, saying that she had shot and killed her husband after a domestic dispute. He said he initially didn't believe her. Mr. Douglas then told the police that he and Bryn had returned to her Encino Avenue home and he had found her husband's body in their bedroom. That was when he called 911. Now his distraught friend had locked herself in the master bedroom with her dead husband, and the couple's six-year-old daughter, Bergen, was still inside. The uniformed police officers headed into the house. It was an active situation, and they needed to get the child out of the home. A few minutes later, one of the officers emerged, carrying the little girl still dressed in her nightgown. Moments later, a single gunshot rang out from inside the house. Now, there were two bodies inside, and two children who had just lost both their parents. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a Hollywood couple who seemed to have it all. He was a famous comedian, well known for his cast of many characters on Saturday Night Live, 
and a starring role on an NBC sitcom. She was a beautiful former model, and together they shared two young children and lived a million-dollar lifestyle with cars, boats, and even a private airplane. But behind the perfect-looking family facade, there was trouble, tension, jealousy, and addictions. Long-simmering issues had resurfaced, and their 10-year marriage was faltering. But no one could have foreshadowed its violent ending. This is Legacy of Laughter, the Phil Hartman story. The actor and comedian Phil Hartman was shot to death in his own home. He heard a gunshot in the master bedroom. Reacting with shock, it was very violent. We begin with a murder investigation that has stunned the entertainment world. Phil Hartman, who gained fame on Saturday Night Live, was found shot dead in his home, apparently killed by his wife, who then committed suicide. ABC's Carla Wool has more from Los Angeles. At 6.20 this morning, residents of this upscale Encino neighborhood called police to report gunshots coming from the Hartman's gated estate. Officers arrived to find a nine-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl by the front door, both obviously upset. As they were taking the children out of the house, officers heard a gunshot in the master bedroom. There they discovered comedian Phil Hartman dead. Authorities say it appears his wife Bryn shot him, then turned the gun on herself. The news traveled quickly that sunny Thursday morning in Los Angeles, California. 49-year-old beloved comedian Phil Hartman was dead. Shot to death by his wife, who then took her own life, leaving their two young children orphaned. It didn't seem possible to their family and friends and fellow comedians who had worked with Phil over the years. How could the decade-long marriage of one of Hollywood's most likable celebrities have ended in a tragic murder-suicide? And what could possibly have triggered a rage that prompted a loving mother to leave her children parentless? Had serious warnings been ignored? There were so many questions that needed to be answered. He was, you know, consummately skilled in impressions. hey In voices. This is wild. He was just one of those guys who could do anything and everything. Join me, Sinead O'Connor, and the entire Sinead O'Connor family. And, and he could play authority figures brilliantly. I did inhale. In my dorm room in Oxford University, I had a bong the size of a grain salad. Brantford, Ontario, is the small Canadian town known as the birthplace of one of the world's greatest hockey players, Wayne Gretzky. But it's also the hometown of another kid who made it big, Saturday Night Live alumni Phil Hartman. Philip Edward Hartman was born on September 24, 1948, to Doris and Rupert Hartman. He was the fourth child of a family that would include seven siblings, including a disabled sister that required full-time care. As the middle child in a big Catholic family, Phil felt invisible. 
but soon found a way to get attention by being funny. He was the family jokester and the class clown. When Phil was 10 years old, the family moved to Maine and then to Connecticut, where his father sold roofing supplies and building materials. They eventually settled in Southern California, where Phil attended high school. In 1966, Phil enrolled at Santa Monica City College, where he took courses in painting and drawing. He then began designing album covers for rock bands, including a logo for Crosby, Stills & Nash. He eventually dropped out of college to work as a roadie for a band. But after a year on the road, he returned to his graphic art studies at California State University. He supplemented his artistic work with voicing radio commercials. In 1970, Phil married artist Gretchen Lewis. But according to friends, Phil had a habit of falling hard and then losing interest. The young couple divorced two years later. Single again, Phil decided to try his luck on national television and appeared on the popular 1970s show, The Dating Game. He won the date, but got stood up. Regardless, he got a taste of being in front of the camera and decided he wanted to pursue an acting career. In 1975, Phil joined an improv group in Los Angeles called The Groundlings. And suddenly, the shy, introverted graphic artist was making audiences laugh with his hilarious characters and impressions. While performing and writing with the Groundlings, he became close friends with another comedian named Paul Rubens. Phil worked with Paul to help him create a unique character named Pee Wee Herman. Well, good morning. How do you do? Lots of surprises are just waiting for you. On your market ready, get set. Now go, 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 because it's time for the Pee Wee Herman show. The quirky, childlike character was a huge success, and Phil had a reoccurring role as Captain Carl on the Pee Wee Herman show and Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. The two comedians also co-wrote the feature film Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, but eventually parted ways after creative disagreements. In 1982, Phil married real estate agent Lisa Strain. It's so wonderful to have a strawberry blonde around the house. (laughs) His career was beginning to take off with small movie roles and voiceover work. But once again, the guy who could make people laugh proved to be elusive when it came to expressing his own emotions. In an interview years later, Lisa talked about the enigma of Phil Hartman. My sense of Phil was that he was really two people, she said. He was the guy who wanted to draw and write and think and create and come up with ideas. He was an actor and an entertainer. 
And then he was a recluse. Lisa and Phil divorced just three years after their wedding. But not long after his second divorce, Phil met a beautiful blonde model named Bryn Omdahl. And true to his relationship pattern, he fell head over heels for the statuesque model who was 10 years younger than him. Bryn Omdahl, whose real name was Vicky Joe, was a small-town girl originally from Thief River Falls, Minnesota. At 16, she dropped out of high school to pursue a modeling career. And after a failed first marriage, she changed her name and moved to Los Angeles to pursue an acting career. And while she didn't have much luck at auditions, she did attract attention from men and ended up dating actor and director Rob Reiner. She was working as a swimsuit model by day and hitting the Hollywood party circuit at night. But life in the fast lane had its dangers, and Bryn became addicted to alcohol and cocaine. Realizing she had a serious problem, Bryn checked herself into rehab. And not long after getting sober, she met a funny guy on a blind date. His name was Phil Hartman. Phil and Bryn fell in love. She was beautiful, and he was successful. They were both getting what they wanted. But only months into the relationship, Phil began to emotionally withdraw, as he had in his prior relationships. It wasn't long before Bryn and Phil were locked into a destructive pattern of breaking up and then making up. But Bryn was determined to hang on to Phil as it was clear that his career was taking off. In 1986, Phil got the chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to audition for Saturday Night Live. For any comedian, Saturday Night Live was a star maker and had already made big stars out of Chevy Chase, Eddie Murphy, and Steve Martin, just to name a few. Lorne Michaels, the Canadian-born executive producer of Saturday Night Live, liked what he saw in the fellow Canuck, and Phil Hartman was asked to join the 12th season of the popular late-night show. I just flew in from Hollywood, and boy, is my full of crap tired. <laughs> Phil was an instant success with the cast and with audiences for his comedic timing. He was a master mimic, and he could do imitations of more than 50 characters, including Frank Sinatra, Ronald Reagan, Jack Nicholson, and even Jesus. But his most popular character was a beleaguered president by the name of Bill Clinton. All right, boys. Let's stop in here for a second. I'm a little parched from the jog. Oh, sir, we've only been jogging for three blocks. 
Besides, Mrs. Clint asked us not to let you into any more fast food places. Well, I just want to mingle with the American people, talk with some real folks, maybe get a Diet Coke or something. All right, fine. But please, don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Jim, let me tell you something. There's going to be a whole bunch of things we don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Fast food is the least of our worries, okay, buddy? Oh, my God! It's Bill Clinton! Oh, my God. Hey. Now living in New York City, Phil's work with Saturday Night Live was all-consuming. But in the fall of 1987, he took time out to get married to Bryn Omdahl. It was his third marriage and her second. Close friends of Phil tried to talk him out of the marriage because they could already see that Bryn had some serious emotional issues. But Phil did not take his friend's advice. Two years later, in 1989, Phil and Bryn welcomed their first child, a boy named Sean. When Phil's second wife, Lisa, found out that the couple had welcomed a baby, she sent a card of congratulations. She and Phil had remained friends, and she was thrilled for Phil and Bryn. But her well wishes were not well received. Bryn sent her a threatening four-page letter stating in no explicit terms to stay away from her family or else. Lisa called Phil to talk about the threatening letter and Phil brushed it off, telling Lisa that Bryn was, quote, very intense. It would be years before Lisa spoke to Phil again. By 1989, Phil Hartman was on top of the world. He won an Emmy as part of the writing team for Saturday Night Live. And in just a few short years on the show, he had established himself as one of the most important members of the comedy ensemble. Younger cast members like Chris Farley and Adam Sandler looked up to Phil and called him the glue that kept the group together. Years later, Lorne Michaels explained the nickname. He kind of held the show together, said the SNL creator. He gave to everybody and demanded very little. He was very low maintenance and he was everybody's big brother. Phil began getting other roles in commercials, TV and film. And the money kept rolling in. And with the success came the toys. A Bentley, a Ferrari, a couple of boats, and an airplane. But his stardom also meant he was often away from home, and his marriage began to suffer. Bryn, who had aspired to be an actress, became increasingly jealous of Phil and the attention he was getting. He was the star, and she was a stay-at-home mom, now with two kids after their daughter Bergen was born in 1992. And while everything looked picture-perfect on the outside, life inside the Hartman home was volatile. Confiding in a few close friends, Phil admitted that his third marriage was in trouble, and the way he coped was staying away from home more and more. In 
But when he was home, he had another way of dealing with his wife. If he and Bryn got into a fight, which they often did, he would go to sleep and hope that everything would be fine in the morning. And usually it was. But Phil recognized that something had to change if their marriage was going to survive. In 1994, Phil and Bryn decided to leave New York and return to live in Los Angeles. Phil left Saturday Night Live after eight seasons and 153 episodes. He was one of the longest-running cast members and had worked with a who's who of fellow comedians, including Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, Mike Myers, David Spade... Chris Rock and Chris Farley, to name a few. After resettling in Los Angeles, Phil joined the cast of a new NBC comedy series called News Radio, portraying Bill McNeil, an arrogant and clueless radio news anchor. Dave's gone too far this time. Imagine an office without snacks. People, we should be working. Enjoying the free snacks provided by our employer, not foraging for frozen morsels like the members of some ice-bound Brazilian soccer team. And it's not just the snacks. I mean, look what's happened to our smoking lounge. Oh, that's your smoking lounge, Bill. I'm still very against that. (laughs) Whatever. I can remember when there were comfortable chairs out there. Maybe you shouldn't have stolen the comfortable chairs for your den at home. Whatever. The ensemble cast included fellow Canadian Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall and other comedians such as Andy Dick and Joe Rogan. Though the series received critical acclaim, ratings were inconsistent and the show was constantly under threat of cancellation. Phil stuck with the series but was also busy with other projects. One of his favorite gigs was working on the Fox animated series, The Simpsons. Phil was in 52 episodes and voiced numerous characters, including reoccurring characters Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such nature films as Earwigs, Ooh, and Man vs. Nature, The Road to Victory. Welcome to the Chocolate Factory. I'm Troy McClure. You probably remember me from such films as The Revenge of Abe Lincoln and The Wackiest Covered Wagon in the Wet. Hutz is the name, Mr. Simpson. Lionel Hutz, attorney at law. Here's my card. It turns into a sponge when you put it in water. Phil's movie career was also taking off, with roles in movies such as I Married an Axe Murderer, Coneheads, and Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was also appearing in many commercials. Hello, I'm Hugh McCaddock. This just in. A meteor landed near a McDonald's. Here's eyewitness Louise Sanders. Well, I had just ordered one. All what did you get? Oh, a double cheeseburger. Oh, don't you love that first tasty bite? It's the meteor just... Meteor? It sure is meteor. <laughs> and the double cheeseburger is just 89 cents. But this is a big deal. That it is, because you can also get a morning fresh sausage biscuit with egg for just 89 cents. To recap, 89 cent deals at McDonald's. Oh, and some big rock fell out of the sky. (laughs) But the more success Phil achieved, the more Bryn seemed to resent his fame. 
She wanted an acting career and pestered Phil to get her roles in his projects, which put him in a difficult position professionally and added increased tension to their already unstable relationship. Feeling overshadowed by Phil's success, Bryn struggled to find her own identity, and issues with low self-esteem led her to undergo several cosmetic surgeries. Her breasts were too small, her face was too round, and her jaw was too square. But while she continually altered her physical appearance, nothing seemed to alleviate her inner demons. Phil told his lawyer that Bryn had trouble controlling her anger, and he had to physically restrain her at times. And work colleagues reported that Phil would sometimes show up to set with scratches on his face after fighting with Bryn the night before. Phil said he would end their fights by withdrawing and going to sleep, hoping that Bryn would calm down by morning. I go into my cave, and she throws grenades to get me out, the lawyer remembered Phil telling him. And while this had become a long-established pattern for the couple, who had been married for over ten years, Phil was growing more impatient with his wife. He knew that Bryn had started using alcohol and drugs again after several years of sobriety. At the beginning of 1998, just after turning 40, Bryn checked herself into an Arizona rehab clinic, but only stayed for five days before leaving. Her violent outbursts were becoming more frequent, and even the couple's long-term housekeeper had quit. Bryn was also taking an antidepressant and had been warned not to mix drugs or alcohol with the medication. She told friends she wanted out of the marriage, but said Phil would not agree to a divorce. Others said it was Phil who wanted out. Regardless, the Hartman household was not a happy one. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On the evening of May 27, 1998, Bryn Hartman met a friend for dinner at an Italian bistro in Encino. The two women enjoyed a few cocktails and a leisurely dinner. Nothing seemed amiss, and Brynn was in a good state of mind. She mentioned to her friend that Phil was thinking of retiring in a few years so they could spend more time with their children. And she was looking forward to the upcoming weekend as she had booked a full spa day for her and Phil to enjoy. After dinner, Brynn dropped by to see her friend, Ron Douglas. The two had known each other for over 15 years. They shared a couple of beers while Bryn complained about Phil. At around midnight, she left and drove home. And given her intoxicated state, it wasn't long before she and Phil got into a heated argument. Phil could tell she had been drinking and was possibly using cocaine again. He was also angry at her for hitting their six-year-old daughter earlier that day. Phil had warned Bryn several times that if she started using again, he would leave her. He was sick of her outbursts. And Phil wasn't in any mood to argue, as he had just lost his father, Rupert, a few weeks earlier. So, as was their usual pattern... Bryn continued to rant and rave, and Phil shut down. Eventually, he went to bed. He knew better than to engage with Bryn if she was intoxicated. They would deal with it in the morning. But this time would be different. And when the morning came, there would be no more arguments between Bryn and Phil Hartman. Shortly before 2.30 a.m. on the morning of May 28, 1998, Bryn walked into the master bedroom where Phil was sleeping and shot him three times. 
once between the eyes, once in his throat, and once in his chest. He died instantly. She had used a 38 caliber handgun, one of several weapons the Hartmans kept in a lockbox in their home. The gunshots woke their nine-year-old son, Sean, who later told the police he thought the sound was a slamming door. An hour later, around 3.20 a.m., Bryn called her friend Ron Douglas in hysterics, saying she wanted to drive back over to his house. She said that Phil was out for the evening and had left her a note saying he'd be back later, but she didn't want to be alone. Ron Douglas, a stunt coordinator and former boyfriend of Bryn's, was confused by the frantic late-night call, but told Bryn that she couldn't leave the children alone in the house and she should go to bed. But Bryn ignored her friend's advice. About 20 minutes later, Bryn showed up at Ron Douglas's house in Studio City. She was in her pajamas and had no shoes on. She smelled of alcohol and was manic. Don't yell at me, she said, sensing Ron was annoyed by the late-night visit. Phil yells at me all the time, she added. Bryn collapsed on the living room floor and then ran into the bathroom to throw up. Ron had known Bryn a long time, but had never seen her like this. He wondered if she might be Odine. She was acting erratically, yelling, muttering, shaking. And then she said something truly bizarre. She told Ron that she had killed Phil. Ron Douglas was still very confused. What was she talking about? Maybe she was delirious. Ron said he didn't believe her. But then Bryn reached into her Prada purse and pulled out a handgun. But Ron still didn't think it could be true. He checked the barrel of the gun and thought it was fully loaded. He then put the gun in a plastic shopping bag. For the next two hours, Ron sat with Bryn, trying to console her while she sobered up. What she was saying couldn't be true. At around 5.45 a.m., Bryn said she wanted to go back to the house in case the kids woke up and insisted that Ron follow her, which he agreed to do. She told him he should also bring the gun. On her way back to the house, Bryn called her friend Judy and told her that she had killed Phil. Like Ron, Judy didn't know what to make of Bryn's confession, but agreed to meet her at her home. Bryn and Ron Douglas arrived at the house on Encino Avenue just as the sun was rising on another day in sunny California. Walking into the Hartman's home, all was quiet. Bryn led Ron towards the master bedroom at the back of the house. And when Ron opened the bedroom door, he was confronted with a horrific sight. Phil Hartman, clothed in a t-shirt and boxer shorts, was lying on the bed. 
He looked like he was asleep, but then Ron saw the bloodstains on the bedding. Phil Hartman was dead, and there were obvious gunshot wounds to his face and head. Bryn had done the unthinkable. At 6.20 a.m. on Thursday, May 28, 1998, Ron Douglas called 911 to say that someone had been shot at 5065 Encino Avenue. There's been a shooting at 5065 Encino Boulevard. What's up? How many people were shot? Uh, just one. Was this on purpose? Was this an accident or what? I have Do you know what happened? I, I have no idea. Police arrived minutes later and were met by a man who identified himself as Ron Douglas. And the child with him was nine-year-old Sean Hartman. Douglas told the police that Bryn Hartman was in the house and she had locked herself in the master bedroom where her husband Phil was lying dead on their bed. The couple's six-year-old daughter was still in the house. Did Mrs. Hartman have a gun? asked the police officers. No, said Ron Douglas. It was in the trunk of his car. Quickly assessing the situation, the uniformed officers called for backup and then decided to enter the house. They needed to get the child out. Within minutes, a female officer came running outside, carrying the Hartman's sleepy daughter. Moments later, a single gunshot exploded from inside the house. Then, silence. Rushing back inside, the officers broke down the bedroom door and found the body of 49-year-old Phil Hartman on the bed and lying next to him was the body of Bryn, with a single gunshot wound to her head and a 38 caliber revolver resting in her right hand. Bryn had put the gun in her mouth and pulled the trigger. Police would later learn that Bryn had used a second gun from the lockbox inside the bedroom closet. Investigators would also learn that Bryn had called her sister moments before shooting herself. Take care of my children and tell them I love them very much, she told her sister before hanging up the phone. Bryn's friend Judy arrived moments later, still not sure what had happened. She couldn't believe what Bryn had told her on the phone. She couldn't have shot Phil, but it was true. And now they were both gone. In Los Angeles today, the actor and comedian Phil Hartman was shot to death in his own home, apparently by his wife, who then killed herself. They had two children. Police are still trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something went very wrong. Celebrities who knew Phil Hartman have been reacting with shock to his very violent death. Steve Martin remembers him as a deeply funny and a very happy person. Anyone who was a fan loved him for his work at SNL. As you say, he was here from 86 to 94 and most recently 
was on the sitcom News Radio. It was breaking news on that spring morning of May 28, 1998. By the time the rest of Los Angeles was waking and having their first cup of coffee, reporters and cameramen were already gathering outside the Hartman's home on Encino Avenue. Beloved comedian Phil Hartman was dead, a victim of murder-suicide. In disbelief, viewers watched the same heartbreaking scene on television again and again. The Hartman's six-year-old daughter, Bergen, clinging to the neck of a police officer as they scurried from the nightmare in her home. It just couldn't be possible. This wasn't some turbulent showbiz couple that everyone knew was fighting all the time. This was Phil Hartman and his beautiful and seemingly perfect wife. Just goes to show you never know what's really going on behind closed doors. Fans and friends were in shock and wondered what had gone so horribly wrong inside the Hartman marriage. And while those who knew the Hartmans struggled to come to terms with their tragic deaths, Hollywood tabloids were desperately trying to dig up as much dirt as possible on the couple. Was there abuse in the marriage? Had there been an affair? The rumors ran wild. And those closest to Phil and Bryn felt compelled to defend them. Following their deaths, the families of Phil Hartman and Bryn Omdahl released a joint statement dismissing the unbridled speculations offered in the media as unfounded. Phil and Bryn were a loving couple, devoted to each other and their children, the statement said. This tragedy is not indicative of who she was or who they were together. Unfortunately, the family's heartfelt words did little to alleviate the morbid curiosity of what had happened to the Hartmans. On June 5, 1998, a private memorial service was held for Phil and Bryn Hartman at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles. The media were kept away while both families came together to support the couple's young children, Sean and Bergen, who had been orphaned. During the service, Phil Hartman's older brother, John, urged everyone to be kind towards Bryn as they processed their grief. He told his fellow mourners, quote, They were victims of the same accident. There is no one to hate and no blame to be laid. I beg you to forgive her. So put this incident in your past and close the door. Forget it if you can. End quote. In accordance with his wishes, Phil's ashes were scattered in Emerald Bay off Santa Catalina Island, a place that he loved spending time on his boat. When Phil Hartman died, he was at the pinnacle of his career. He had made a huge name for himself, and he was adored 
by all those who had ever worked with him. Not an easy accomplishment in the cutthroat world of show business. In the wake of his death, NBC, the network behind Saturday Night Live and News Radio, issued a statement saying that Phil Hartman was blessed with a tremendous gift for creating characters that made people laugh. And everyone who had the pleasure of working with Phil knew that he was a man of tremendous warmth, a true professional, and a loyal friend. But as they say in the business, the show must go on. Phil's character on news radio, Bill McNeil, was said to have suffered a heart attack. He was their colleague, their mentor, and their friend. Now, in a very special season premiere, the cast says goodbye to Phil Hartman. Farewell, take care of each other, and I'll see you all when you get to wherever it is that I am now. News Radio, Wednesday on NBC. Phil Hartman's longtime friend and former SNL colleague John Lovitz filled in for him during the show's fifth and final season. For the close-knit ensemble cast, continuing on without Phil was extremely difficult. But there were other concerns causing tension on the set. John Lovitz was accusing News Radio co-star Andy Dick of reintroducing Bryn Hartman to cocaine, causing her to relapse and suffer a nervous breakdown. The two comedians had even gotten into a physical altercation at a Los Angeles comedy club. Andy Dick later admitted to giving Bryn cocaine at a Christmas party six months before her death, but claimed he knew nothing of her long-term drug addiction. The reality of what had happened to Phil and Bryn Hartman was just too hard to accept for their friends and family. Yes, There had been serious issues in the marriage, but that didn't explain why Bryn had killed Phil and then herself. Those closest to Bryn believed something else had caused her to snap. In 1999, a year after the tragedy, Bryn's brother, Greg Olmdahl, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Pfizer, the manufacturer of an antidepressant called Zoloft, and against psychiatrist Arthur Sorosky, who had provided samples of the antidepressant to Bryn. According to court documents, Dr. Sorosky had given Bryn a manufacturer's sample of Zoloft on March 26, 1998, two months before the murder-suicide. The lawsuit claimed that Sorosky did not give her a physical examination or note her medical history with addictions and did not have the traditional doctor-patient relationship with her because he was a children's psychiatrist who was working with nine-year-old Sean Hartman. The suit further alleged that Pfizer had downplayed Zoloft's potential side effects, including violence or suicide in some people while engaging in an aggressive marketing campaign to encourage physicians to dispense 
or prescribe the medication. An autopsy conducted after Bryn's death confirmed that she had Zoloft, alcohol, and cocaine in her system at the time of the shootings. The lawsuit was eventually settled out of court for a reported $100,000 that was put in trust for the Hartman's children. Zoloft is still on the market as a prescription antidepressant. In 2012, Phil Hartman was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. And two years later, a star bearing his name was unveiled on the legendary Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2015, Rolling Stone magazine ranked Phil Hartman as one of the top 10 greatest Saturday Night Live cast members throughout the show's 40-year history. But despite the many well-deserved posthumous awards for his brilliant career, Phil Hartman's all-time favorite role was being a father. How are you kids doing, Phil? Kids are terrific. Uh, Sean is eight years old now. Uh, Bergen's four and a half. Four and three quarters, she says. (laughs) What makes me the happiest? Well, without question, it's being a father. Bryn's sister, Catherine Wright, and her husband raised Sean and Bergen Hartman in Wisconsin. In an ABC television special marking the 20th anniversary of Phil Hartman's murder, the children's uncle, Greg Omdahl, reported that Sean and Bergen, now adults in their 30s, were living successful, quiet lives. Two decades after the tragedy, John Hartman, Phil's older brother, further reflected on his brother's death and his decision to forgive rather than hate Bryn for it, admitting that it took a lot of hard work to heal emotionally from the incident. As John recalled, when the coroner explained to him that Bryn was on Zoloft and drinking alcohol and did not know what she was doing or why she was doing it, He didn't doubt it for a second. I took that as true, he explained. And I forgave her in that moment. Phil Hartman, the shy kid from Brantford, Ontario, dedicated his life to making people laugh and smile. And in the years since his death, many famous friends and colleagues have struggled to make sense of what really happened on that early morning in May of 1998. No one may ever really know. But for those who knew Phil, he'll always be remembered as one of the good guys. John Lovitz. Phil was like the the best improviser. He was the king. Tremendous charisma. He was a genius. I'd do anything for him, and, and I got in the company. I got to do the show, and, and I was like, you know, he's like the, he was nine years older than me, and he was the, you know, big brother that uh, I always wanted. And while Phil Hartman's career came to an abrupt and tragic ending, his legacy lives on in the many characters he portrayed on screen, and he continues to make us laugh. 
1998 interview given shortly before his death, Phil spoke about how much he loved and appreciated his life and how he understood the immense, delicate nature of it all. I think in my old age, I've come to realize just how precious everything is. And I try to value the many blessings that have been bestowed upon me. But there's also this sense of vulnerability if fortune took a turn for the worse. And you live with the awareness that anything can happen in this world. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.